Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, and welcome to episode 27 of the Runner's World podcast, the weekly podcast bringing you all the latest running news, reviews, and interviews. I'm Ben Hobson, the digital editor, and I'm here with Andy Dixon, the editor in chief. Andy, what have we got coming up on this week's episode? This week we're talking recovery, the great leveller in running, and the often neglected side of training that we should be paying more attention to. Joining to discuss the art of resting is sprinter and personal trainer Riskat Fabodmi Alade. Now, you're a few good days into a run streak, Mr. Dixon. I am 32 days into a run <sighs> streak. So how's that been on the recovery front? It's been good and bad it's well it 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 teaches you to listen to your body more because if you're running every day you'll be running on days when you you feel tired so it's kind of like today i'll 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 do a mile rather than five um so it, it it's taught me to be more in tune to my body but at the same time it's forced me to run on days when I probably wouldn't have done ordinarily. <laughs> so it, it, on those occasions, yeah. you, you, your body's saying, don't run today. But, and, and you say, well, I'm just going to ignore you, body. I'm going to run today. But, you know, r- running one mile at a very slow pace, like nine or ten minute miling for me, uh, would be uh, fine, I think. But there's been days where uh, in the first few metres I've been thinking, my God, uh, particularly after the, the, the this sprintathon that I did, which involved sprinting and I didn't warm up or warm down. Um so that caused a bit of a bit of recovery problems. But uh it's been fine and it's also um it's been good because it's educated me. I've been running for twelve years now and it I, I think I had a kind of pre conceived response about what a, a run means and that's like it has to be three miles fast or an easy run yeah. has to be five miles at least. Well actually when time's tight and it quite often is just doing a mile or two miles, you know, ten fifteen minutes is just as just as useful. Yeah, um, it's all time on your feet and miles in the bank. So it's been good from that perspective. And the other thing that it's taught me is um, there's an immense amount of washing to be done. <laughs> and uh, and actually, two of those thirty two runs have been done in in swimming shorts. <laughs> Which, Which in the in the world of recovery, I heard that swimming shorts are the next big thing. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You'd be, you know, that you'd be surprised. They they worked a treat. I won't say that that they were optimal, but they they were fine. I, think you'd exp- I expected a bit more chasing. Yeah, which right. didn't arrive. Oh, good. Um, there so, you go. Yeah. The latest the latest collection from a large corporate brand will now be multi-purpose swimming shorts slash running shorts. Yeah. I think to aid you in your recovery now in your runs, we better get our guest in. So here comes that jingle. Guest of the week. Here in the studio. Guest of the week. Sometimes. 
times on the phone Could be an athlete Could be a physio Or a complete unknown Welcome to the Runners World Podcast, Riscat. Thank you for having me, my first time on a podcast. Oh yeah? yeah. Great. <laughs> Good. Well, we're going to be talking about one of the most important aspects, I think, of running, and that is recovery. Yep, very key. The broad church of recovery, though. Yeah. So... <laughs> As an athlete, when you're in the middle of a serious block of training, what's the most important part of your recovery? I would say for me, because I'm at that stage where I'm not quite elite yet, so you have to work as well. I'd, in fact, for anyone actually, for all athletes I know, I'd say number one is actually sleep. Yeah. Um, just straight away, you notice it if you haven't had a good night's sleep. Regardless, as soon as you wake up, you might even feel the DOMS or the soreness more or just general fatigue, or just when you try and start warming up for that next session, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, that's totally related. I mean, anyone who sits in an office all day long and then you get to the, 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 the weekend and you've got to do 11 miles or something like that and you haven't had a good night's sleep, you're knackered. Oh, you feel it. You feel it straight away. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Yeah, right and from it, the warm-up, you know. Uh, yeah, for sure. And are you someone that, that is able to make use of daytime napping? Or is it all, is it all focused on overnight sleeping? Um, my mum literally said to me not long ago, maybe the other week, she goes, but why do you nap every day? <laughs> and I just said, because I'm tired. <laughs> it's simple as um, the way that I kind of like structure life is that I tend to work really early in the morning because um, we have training in the evening and then I'll try and get all clients and, and everything done by about lunchtime because I don't like to go straight from being on my feet, PTing, teaching straight into training. I feel like I need some time to sit down, to rest and recover, just kind of reset um, and in that time, I'll normally hit um, a nap. Yeah. Do you think that's the, the sort of the the thing that perhaps people don't treat recovery and and rest with that sort of regard that if you can take twenty minutes of just sitting quietly, that adds to the whole measure of being rested. Yeah, definitely. I think people has think it has to be a large amount of rest or nothing. But I think that even just sitting down for an hour when you get home, or even half an hour yeah. before you then think, oh, okay, I'm going to lace up and go, whatever your training's going to be, however long the, the run is. I think just getting off your feet for a second, especially depending even what shoes do you wear. For example, I'm lucky that, yes, I'm on my feet, but I wear trainers to work. Mm. If you work in retail or you're on site or whatever, you might be in really uncomfortable shoes, hard shoes yeah. with a heel, no heel, super flat whatever and I think just giving like your feet which are you know it's what you run with yeah. the chance to settle for a second yeah really sure. helps as well so even that little thing that you might not think think about that kind of rest and recovery I think that the the kind of the, the, the key pillars of it that we talk about with a rest so we you know we talk about the sleep and everyone sort of taking time out but then diet training load and then I guess strength and conditioning are kind of like the other aspects of recovery yeah. that people kind of need to... Do you think one of those is more important? We talked sleep being is super important, but do you think that they all tie into each other or is there sort of one thing that people can alter quite easily to make a huge take a huge advantage of? They all tie into each other, but you can take little bits from each and every one. For example, even just talking about strength, depending on how strong you are will depend on how hard a session hits you, which will then depend on how much recovery you need. So, for example... Um, after a meet the next day, I might have a recovery uh, quote um, session or tempo session, but that's at my intensity. Whereas I know that if I brought some of my clients with me for that said session, that's not a recovery session. Mm. That's the session yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing as well, because I'm a little bit stronger, a little bit fitter, a little bit more conditioned. But then that would even change throughout 
my season. So maybe that session in October time and we've just come back into winter might be slightly different as to how it would be in May when we're kind of about to start competing. So I think that they're all equally important, but it's kind of like that spinning plates analogy. You don't have to you know, have everything going at the same time at the you know maximum. But if you can just give each little one a tap here and there to keep it going, I think that's the best way to look at it, especially if you're not someone that's elite already or it's your entire career and you can dedicate every amount of spare time that you have to it. I think it's kind of you pick what can you actually, what can you actually do and manage and then you, you pick and choose um, rather than kind of beat yourself up about not having everything you know, under wraps and, and, and 10 out of 10. Yeah, it's the kind of way that I treat it with myself and also with clients as well. And do, and do you find with your clients that people are kind of generally not that aware of the importance of recovery? Is it something that you have to emphasise again and again to them? Most definitely. Um, obviously, the intensity isn't in quite the same, but I feel like a lot of people now are training almost like semi-athletes, you know, in terms of um the amount of training sessions per week, whether that's like if you're just a runner or if you're someone that goes to the gym and does hit and strength and all these different things, but then the planning of those sessions isn't there. Mm. There's no like um, meso cycles or anything like that, you know, deloading, heavy week. It's just you're just training. Mm. So even that side of things, it's like, okay, well, when was the last time you did not a rest day, but like a light a week yeah. did you last have? Um, it's something that I'm seeing a lot that that kind of lack of awareness. And then even things like I always try and tell my clients as well, like, have you ever had a sports massage? I personally have them fortnightly. <laughs> um, and I can tell I'm I'm really in tune with my body now. So I personally know I'll go into the massage and say to the guy that I see, a guy called Petrus, um, um, at that space, so her medical, I'll say to him, like, oh, I know this part of my body. And he'll have a feeling like, yeah, you know, kind of thing. Things like that. Have you had one, an Epsom salt bath, stretch? Do you, in fact... In their warm-ups, I always think that we'll say to them that part of the recovery starts before you've even done the session. Mm. How did you warm up? Because how and if you warm up will again impact how your body responds to the load of the session as well. Mm. So even before you've started the recovery process, you've started the recovery process, yeah, sure. if that makes sense, before the session yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, activating key muscles. Yeah, exactly. Did you activate warm, well? Yeah. Are you ready to go? Are you not... Um, especially if someone, let's say, already has like a little niggle here or there, like have you done the right things or do you have some prehab stuff that you're supposed to do to not exacerbate things that have, you know, caused you trouble in the past mm. and all those bits and bobs as well. Even pre-session is really important as well. Yeah, I would. Uh, I actually, a couple of weeks ago, I took part in a, a charity sprinterthon, which involved lots of runners doing 100 metres each and it added up to, uh, like you passed a baton through and, and you, it added up to a marathon. Anyway, as part of this, I had to do two 100-meter sprints, and you think, well, that's not a lot. Of course, I didn't warm up, didn't warm down, so I went from naught to, like, not 100 miles an hour, actually, <laughs> no, but, to, to yeah. like, 15 miles an hour. Um, and three days after this sprint-a-thon, yeah. I could barely walk, and I was pulling myself up the stairs, and it was like, I need to warm up, and I need to warm down when I'm doing, like, faster stuff, not just sprinting, but, like, interval sessions. Yeah, and it was yeah. a real hard reminder of, of how, how important it is, as you say, to warm up properly for whatever session you, it is you're doing. Yeah, the intensity of, of, of it changes. Um, and that's someone who's already already fit and runs and stuff, but we have people that don't really do that much that will just jump into these events mm. for charity, for fun, as you should, but poor warm-up, you're not used to it, and then you, you're in for a little bit of a shock, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then it even depends in between the two legs that you did, what, what was the recovery in between that? I think, um, so I teach um, 
a treadmill-based sprint class um, every Monday. I had them this morning. And mine is always quite short intervals in comparison to a lot of the other instructors and stuff like that. And I'm a big fan of rest. In between blocks, you might just be hanging around the treadmills for like three minutes. But I always tell them that you think this three minutes is, is, is a lot. When I'm doing really high-intensity stuff, mm. I've had six minutes recovery, 15, 30 yeah. You know, if, if we're if we're trying to do a certain type of session, for example, like two fifties and stuff, completely flat out, you will not hit anywhere near the same time again without the recovery. So it's even aside from recovery after sessions, it's that talk of in between reps or, or what you're doing, you yeah. know. And easy, that side of things. I think a lot of the, the stuff about easy recovery runs as well, so within marathon training and longer endurance stuff, is that the recovery run is your, it's not necessarily your rest day, but it's kind of built into the to the load that you have these like really sort of like easy days. And I think that people tend to kind of ignore how easy that should be. Yeah. Like that's the key component of that. Mm-hmm. It's like you're used to running seven minute miles and so you'll be like, oh, eight and a half is easy enough. But it needs to be ten. Yeah, and like really that, slow down. Really slow down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. really slow down. And then it's a, a case of some people, I guess, when they first start getting into running, do they even know what what they're going through mile wise? Or because if you don't know that, okay, you've got seven minute miles, then how can you know that the easy would be would be ten? Yeah, yeah. For example, so it's even just awareness of yourself, and that goes back to kind of like training planning, doesn't it? Yeah. And and knowing just knowing what you're doing, having an intention rather than completely, completely winging it, which I think is okay in the beginning, of course, if you're just trying to get into a new habit. But after a while, it's kind of like, I need to know my body, know my schedule, know what's going on mm. and, and plan accordingly so I can look after myself because there's no point being super fit if you're on the brink of, of hurting yourself or burning out or whatever it yeah. might be. What about nutrition then? Because that's kind of like, you know, you've, you've done your session, you've worked hard, your muscles are hurting. The immediate thing that everyone kind of understands, I would say we've, we've told people enough that protein is important by this point. Yeah. <laughs> How do you advise your clients? Would you, you know, if, if uh, is it real food? Is it supplements? How do you always sort of gauge what's important? Um, I'm a big fan of real food, um, unless personal preference and or lifestyle dictates otherwise. For example, I'm on my feet a lot with clients and stuff. So, and I'm the kind of person that when I wake up, I'm just not hungry straight away. Mm. But then when the hunger hits, I'm probably like mid bulk <laughs> of like some clients. I'm not going to be like, by the way, I'm just going to head down to my locker. <laughs> so then I might have a protein shake on the go as I'm on the gym floor with yeah. them. And that suits me very well. And I know it suits other people in other jobs um, the same. Um, but then if I was at home yeah. or I had a gap in between clients, I would have brought in something and just eating it, it that way so I say that personal preference as long as you're getting the protein doesn't actually matter mm. and I also try and say with people that we're, I think we're all aware of proteins now but I always tell people don't forget your carbs as well yeah, yeah. Um, I think people, a lot of people think that carbs are the enemy but they're really not um, especially if someone has like a running goal yeah. I would just remind them that okay but all the best runners in the world from now the beginning until the end of time yeah. all have carbs as yeah, well yeah um, and then it's a case of, you know, if you want to go deeper into timing of said carbs and, and whatever else. But I think at a baseline level, I'm literally just like, have it. Yeah. Um, f- yeah, yeah. For step one on both of those. And some of my guys do, do use um, supplements yeah. um, as well. Boys try and say, use like an accredited um, protein powder or a whey or whatever, if, if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, even if you're not an athlete, I just tend to push um, or a competitive like elite level where you'd be getting tested by WADA and such I always tell people to kind of go with like informed sport choice, choices because at least you kind of know that 
you know, their good quality and what's in there and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, like you, you don't want to be consuming stuff just yeah, because like dodgy, you should be. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> dodgy bits and bobs. Yeah. And then I also say when it comes to the protein snacks as well, that's that, that industry just seems to be booming at the moment. <laughs> Everything is like extra protein, da, 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 but it actually literally might be like an extra like two grams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then it's two pounds more expensive. <laughs> yeah. I would say you don't have to have the expensive snacks unless you want them. Yeah. Um, and I would say as long as you can get a good hit of protein throughout your day with, you know, most of the meals and stuff, then, because people think, oh, I had this meal and didn't have any protein in it, it was a sandwich, and I was like, okay, well, you know, that does have protein in it, it's just mar- not marketed as a protein yeah, yeah, product. Yeah, I mean, but, pasta you know, has protein pa- in it. Yeah, I say to people, your, the loaf of bread that you had, <laughs> that you made that sandwich, has protein in it. Yeah. So if you add up every little bit, you know, the bread, the this, the that, the meat, whatever you put in, mm. da, 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 you probably ended up with quite a nice hit anyway, so yeah. don't panic about it. So is the best approach for protein just to try and have it consistently over the course of a day rather than, um, I think many runners might say right after a, an interval session or a, or a long run, those kind of hard quality sessions that they would be having like a protein shake or trying to up their consumption. But do you think it's better to just have, to make sure that you're having a lot of protein throughout the day? Um, both are kind of correct. Um, lots of research has shown that to have like a really good... Um, kind of balanced level of protein today is great so you've got like a constant supply for your muscles but in the same way after like particularly difficult sessions again research like varies some people be like it has to be half an hour you know within that half an hour window others have been more lenient eh, within two hours is fine <laughs> so again i always say like as soon as you can manage it like don't kill yourself trying to you know shove something down your throat if, if you're not ready if you're trying to cool down or whatever else um both both do kind of work as well um yes immediately after the session but I wouldn't say that should be your only hit of protein for the day. Try and have some little by little throughout the day. And also, when you're training often, it makes you kind of ravenous. <laughs> but um, protein helps with satiety as well. So if you're having that throughout the day, it should help you feel a bit fuller for longer. Um, you know, so you're not prone to just inhaling everything you see. If you're in a, if you are a little bit tired from the session before or, or stuff like that, and just generally in like a heavy block, mm. but trying to just maintain where you are kind of weight-wise and stuff like that. The other thing that people kind of... We'll go to is, a, is a, they get kind of stuck in a routine, maybe a foam rolling sort of session immediately afterwards or kind of the cool down element of stuff. I think that that's another side of recovery that perhaps is neglected and in, in, in misunderstood is that, you know, the, how the muscles respond to treatment the days after as well and sort of like reloading and stuff like that. How do you go about coping with sort of back-to-back sessions and stuff like that? Um, I'd say that back-to-back sessions, it's trying to get... Um a decent cool down in and then a good night's sleep but then going back to that the next day I had to warm up really well like on the way here I was feeling my hamstrings <laughs> I um, trained on Saturday and threw in some eccentrics that I'd been missing a little bit just trying to figure it out with um, the competition season and I was like I really hope I don't get like a lot of doms from this and today I was like ah no <laughs> it's got me so now but I've still got training today um, so all I know is that my warm-up will be really good to cope with the fact that I am feeling a little bit stressed out what's in my that, hamstrings. What's like the time, what's a really good warm-up time-wise? Um, for sprints and like that kind of training, I think for most people we're warming up for like a good 45 minutes. Yeah. And for me that looks like starting off with some resisted um, stretching and mobilising with like a pretty thick band. And then I'll go into some... If I'm really sore, I might foam roll a little bit, but I tend to do that kind of after, actually. Um, into some lighter drills and then some more technical mm-hmm. drills and then some abilities like leg swings, stuff like that. 
Um, and then glute activations. And then if I've got any other little bits and bobs, like I've got some little things from my physio that I've been given mm. to do pre-session, do those. Then I'll do a few easy drop and excels in trainers, build up in intensity. Then I'll do some <laughs> accelerations in spikes, yeah. <laughs> um, sort of 20 meters, then maybe 30. And then <laughs> I'll start my oh. session. So... Before the main part of the session is, I've already been doing something for like 45, maybe 50 minutes. And it's not rushed. It's like I'll do a little bit of this, sit down for an Excel, do a little bit of that, walk back, talk to my coach, do another Excel, kind of stuff like that. But that's mad though. Like if we, how do we prepare for a lunchtime run? We just go. Go. (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt's not even on before you're out the door yet. But I think this is, I I mean, this is, I think that there's a a vast amount of pre-run, um, warm-up and technique that can be learned from sprint and athletics that perhaps the recreational runner doesn't even consider yeah 100 percent um and i think we have to be accepting that as you said like lunchtime run you don't have time to be doing all that but five minutes seven minutes will will go a long way um a couple leg swings some hip circles maybe some glute activations maybe some dead bugs to activate the core stuff like that maybe a few you know skipping drills whatever it might be if you're trying to improve your technique as a runner and then off you go as well because five minutes is better than nothing and that five minutes will see your recovery like tenfold yeah exactly because your run will most likely be better um you won't spend the first part kind of like waking up your body because you've already done it so then the run will be better so then hopefully the recovery process after said run will be better as well Mm. do you think that um when we're talking about recovery days so days when you're not running at all do you think there's also a danger that people just do too much stuff in those days like say going shopping or doing chores or going to you know to drive around there even in driving around you're using your muscles is there a difference between complete rest and what we might think of rest where you're actually still doing stuff does that make a difference or or not yes most definitely most definitely sometimes i'll come back from a session and mom's like oh can we do some gardening no <laughs> no because I'm yeah. shattered and I need to just lie down yeah um, yeah there is rest and then there is complete rest as well um, but again we have to think about you know are you that elite athlete is it your entire career do you have a job are you a family person yeah. do you have children do you have something in the diary that you've said that you do with your niece and like you don't want to be that horrible auntie <laughs> and, and you've made the commitment um, but it's like okay well if you know that you're in a certain block and you're training for something for example as many people are then you might have to be a bit more rigid with that mm. you know your partner says oh can we do you know clearing out the yard not really because I am supposed to really take it easy today I've had a really hard six days or the past three week cycle has actually been quite intense, intense and this has been planned in mm. so maybe we can you know do a little walk in the park stuff like that's fine but you're not going to be helping your best mate move house or something like that, you yeah. know, carrying <laughs> furniture. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes you do need to kind of put your foot down for yourself and, and take it easy for yeah. sure. Got to have the understanding family unit, though. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. Which yeah, is, that yeah, understanding family and friends yeah. and even boss and colleagues makes a big deal. Like, oh, are you going to come out for the, for the team? What's it? We're going to the, you know, I yeah. don't know. The up. trampoline park park for like a, a team bonding. Oh, no, I can't really. <laughs> no, <laughs> can't be doing that. <laughs> Which about, is hard. Hard decisions. Yeah, it's hard. But you've got to do it. Yeah. What about you then? What's what's next? Um, I'm competing this Sunday in a open meet in Newham, 200 meters, 
um, two rounds of 100 meters, I should say. And then there's another one on the 18th. I'm going to do a 100 and a 200. And then I will be off to the British Champs in Birmingham at the end of the month. Nice. You feeling good? I'm feeling pretty good. I've had um, some hip issues this year. First on the right hip, thought it was over. Then on the left hip, (laughs) got me again. But touch wood, it's been all right lately. So feeling pretty good. Ah, great. In, In some good shape. Oh, perfect. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on, chatting through recovery. I think that everyone now will go off and have a complete nut rest. I'm not going back to the office. Yeah, I'm going for a nap. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> All right, great. Thanks, Thanks for so having much. me, guys. <laughs> this is the Runner's World Podcast. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So Jane has joined us in the studio to go through some news. Jane? Hello. Um, I think the first bit of news is a bit kind of self-indulgent, but Mr Rick Pearson <laughs> has done 100 miles in 23 hours and four minutes. Is yeah, that right, Rick? Rick Pearson. <laughs> well done, Rick. Thanks very much. Yeah, it feel, feels good. I've, um, I'm slightly sore as a result, but um, yeah, it's very satisfying to, uh, to have completed the distance because, yeah, there are times during those sort of races where you start to wonder if it's ever going to happen. Did you hallucinate at all? At no, point? I was really worried about hallucinating, Andy. I was kind of, I felt like the kind of physical trauma of an event like that you can kind of predict, but I was like, if I start seeing things in the woods, <laughs> I think that might be... I'm done. That might be the end for me. But, um, no, nothing. I don't, know, I don't know when the hallucinations start to kick in. I presume it's different for different people, but um, no, nothing to report on that front. So then, mate, let's give us give us mile pointers for different <laughs> sensations. So feeling good all the way through until mile. Oh no, almost the opposite. So this is what's surprising about this, this race for me is that it felt really bad for the first twenty five. All um, right, and I was I was quite far back in the field. I had sort of some quite big sort of stomach issues. Not to go into too much detail on that, but um, yeah, I was just kind of um, I, I saw Mark Formbury, who was part of my um, race crew at. 
at Box Hill and he, and he said, Rick, you've got a plan A and a plan B and, and you're behind them both at the minute. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was looking for sort of a plan C, but then I, I started feeling a, a bit better between 30 and 50. So I got into halfway not feeling not feeling bad, actually. And then you, you pick up a pacer and stuff. There's a picked up uh, best mate, George Ball, who did a brilliant job. So, um, and then I felt I felt really good, actually, but almost for the rest of the race. I mean, it, it hurt, but like mentally I was kind of on board. So it was... Um, it wasn't the kind of trajectory of like the downward, the downward slope. It was much more like I, I started to believe that I was going to do it after about sixty miles, and that, that felt really good. Did you get to do any sort of sprint finish? <laughs> well, you, you do finish on an athletics. Track. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> sprint face. Yeah, no one was there. It didn't seem to attract a big crowd again. But um, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I probably that probably was the fastest I run. But I mean, I think you're probably looking at about kind of seven minute kilometer or something so it wasn't i wasn't i wasn't setting any world records so. well mate look it's it's it was an absolutely phenomenal achievement especially if you well go and off, off the back of a of a of a poor start shall we say so yeah, yeah. a huge congrats from all of us and i'm sure all of our listeners will 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 celebrate with us yeah thanks very much much appreciate um all, all support and uh, yeah it was an amazing thing to do and uh I'll be back in the office tomorrow, so I look forward to boring you all with uh, all the details. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Well, go away now, and we'll talk to some other people. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. All right. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Bye. 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 Well, that, well, that was nice to talk to Rick. Well done, Rick. Well done, Rick. Right. Never again, he said. He'll be doing one in yeah. about three months. <laughs> Give him a week. <laughs> right, Jay. More news. More news. Um, Diane, this is my favourite story of the week. Diane Hoffman is ninety-one. She ran her first ever track event at 90 and she's broken the world record in the 90 to 94 age group for the 400 metre, finishing in 2 minutes 44. Insane. And she said she blames competitive tennis for her speed. Wow. But if I, you know, starting running at 90 and breaking a world record at 91... Yeah, I tell you what, Seriously these, cool. these, these later life athletes that we, we we spoke about, I can't, I'm going to forget his name, but we spoke about a, a gentleman the other week who was racking up the world records. Yeah, it's very inspiring. It's it's good to know that there's still, you know, there's still achievements to be had. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for someone like me in, in middle age, it's like, great, I'll, I'll think about 400 metre running maybe. They're setting this bar quite high. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they are. That's... <laughs> Fair to say. And more women running news. Aaron Gator, 55-year-old ultra runner, has become the fastest woman to travel by foot from John O'Groats to Land's End. And she finished in 12 days, 11 hours, 6 minutes and 7 seconds, which is, I think it broke, I think it broke the last record by like 4 hours or something. So like, she did it well. Mm. Um, and she said she felt 105 but was relieved. And she's back in work today. Oh, there you go, Rick. Yeah, Rick. <laughs> why why you got a day off? Does eight hundred and twenty-two miles. Oh. It's a real shade on Rick Pearson. Yeah, then. right. Oh, that's an amazing. Like, that sounds like the sort of amount of time people would ride that, like yeah. on a bicycle. Yeah, yeah I like the way that you, you 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 made it clear that it was the to travel by foot yeah. rather than just to travel, but from John O'Groats to Land's End. That was uh, in case people thought that she was doing it on a bike or yeah, something. Because that's the sort of time that you would imagine yeah. easily. Yeah, amazing. So, yeah. Oh well, there we go. Ultra running scene, more incredible performances from the from the women. It's good to know. Thanks, Jane. No worries. This is the Runners World Podcast. We're going to continue with the recovery chat because in the office for the last week or so, 
We've been talking on recovery, but mainly because Nike have bought out this new shoe, the Joyride, which is a shoe designed specifically to aid runners recover on their easy runs. So there's a whole remit of recovery stuff out there for runners. You can spend your life's earnings on recovery products, sliders, compression. I kind of feel like this is probably the first shoe designed for task in that area, running shoe. And we've had a bit of some time in them. Are they necessary? Well, uh, that depends on... Yes, I think so. If you if you accept that there are shoes for uh, fast intervals yeah. and like performance flats designed for fast running, I think um, there's nothing to say that you couldn't have a shoe or can't have a shoe at the other end of the spectrum, which is designed for easy and, and slower running. Yeah. Now... The question is, you could ask yourself as a runner, it's like, well, do I need that performance flat? If you're not running 5Ks very often, then probably not. Um, Equally, a a bespoke recovery shoe, if you're just running two or three times a week, you probably can get by without it. If you're heavy into a marathon training block Mm. and training six days out of seven, I definitely think there's a place for it in your your cupboard, as it Mm. were. As the person Jane currently training for a marathon, <laughs> kind of <laughs> Berlin on horizon. Yes. How have you found it as an, an an additional weapon in the arsenal? I mean, when you first, I think that's the thing they've got all these beads in them, which I think Nike have done a lot of research about. Without sounding like I'm reading a press release, I promise I'm not. Um, and when you put them on, you can kind of definitely feel. It feels weird, doesn't it? It feels like you've got something under your foot yeah, that shouldn't yeah. be there. And I was a bit like, these are just a gimmick. They look they look cool, but, you know, they on, on first feel, you're like, no. But they do kind of mould around your feet and they do, they are comfy. Mm. Um, and I mean, I think, I think they do try and help you slow down a bit because the way the beads are positioned under your, the ball of your foot and stuff, they kind of, it's more of a rocking motion. It's not like a, you know, you couldn't go fast in these. But I don't know, I'm... I mean, I don't know if I I kind of get very attached to certain shoes and I don't know if I could have, I do this and this shoe and this and this shoe and this and this. But then, you know, I guess there are runners that do that. But then from the other side, because you're a a Hoka fan. Yes. So you're used to a maximal, highly cushioned shoe. So I do my long runs in the Hoka Bondi as cushioned as you can go. So in terms of... So these feel flatter than that. Right, so for you they're just like... So for me, but then they're meant to be similar to the Hoka, and I haven't done a lot of miles in them, so I think maybe, you know, maybe I need to give them a bit longer. Yeah. But um, I think it's really interesting that Nike spent, you know, the, apparently these have been 10 years in the making, and they've spent so long getting runners faster. This kind of seems a bit like, oh, where did that come from? Yeah. But I think, obviously, you know. Well, you've got you to gotta run slow to run fast. For sure. And I think one of the, uh, quite apart from the effect that this shoe has on your feet, which yeah. is, is, is one thing, and, I, and I, Jen's right, you do feel a kind of, particularly under the ball of my foot, I can feel, when you put it on and walk in it, you can feel a kind of, it's not uncomfortable, you can just feel a kind of bulge there. Yeah. It's odd. You don't really feel it when you're running in them, but they're quite soft, so it'd be quite hard to get on your toes and overdo it in them. But I think it's also, um, it would change your mentality, I think, because if you have a, a pair of recovery shoes in your cupboard, I think yeah. you're more likely to respect recovery. Yeah. And I think the biggest crime that most runners have is they go too fast on 
recovery and easy days they just think I'm feeling all right today so I'll just run at my normal pace when actually that's where they're missing the benefits of slowing down a bit yeah technology you know hopefully providing everyone with a little bit more of a performance benefit so that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. I'd like to say huge thanks to our guest Riskat and to Number 8 Studios in Soho where this was recorded. For more news, reviews, interviews and much, much more from the wider world of running, please head over to runnersworld.com UK. Please like and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks to Acast, our hosting partner, and we will see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.